On episode 612 of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Carissa and Jeff Galloway and discuss their book, Run, Walk, Eat. You can find the full show notes for this episode at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 612. Have you decided you're ready to make a change to reclaim your health and fitness? The 40 Plus Fitness Podcast is here for you. Each week, we dive deep into health and fitness topics that affect those of us over 40. I'm Coach Allen. I'm an NASM certified personal trainer with specializations in corrective exercise, behavior change, performance enhancement, and fitness nutrition. A Precision Nutrition Level 1 coach, a FAI certified functional aging specialist, and an OTA Level 2 online trainer. Each week, I'm joined by our co-host, Coach Rachel. She is an NASM certified personal trainer and a RRCA Level 1 run coach. Let us be your coaches as you find your way on your health and fitness journey. All right, let's go. Hey, Raz. How are you doing? Good. How are you, Ellen? Welcome back right. from your wonderful vacation. Thank you. It's It's been a while. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So um, what we did, we we traveled, we traveled pretty much all over Panama. Mm-hmm. It's not a huge country, but the way the roads are set up, you know, you can drive for five, six hours at a time in a different direction, in any direction, and still not get where you want to be. So there was a lot of driving around the country. Then we took about nine days. We went to Mexico. But uh, the story I want to talk about today is uh, we, we went to a place called San Blas. Okay. And a lot of our guests will go through there and they'll say, it's just gorgeous, you know, the beaches and the water and the islands. And it's so, you know, it's so beautiful because it's not built up. There's there's no nothing. Literally, there's nothing. Um, <laughs> and so we go to this place. We booked an overnight. So was, we were doing the overnight tour. And we get on the island. And literally, I'm like, okay, I'm on an island. There are 12 little huts. And I decided, okay, well, this is a pretty small island. Uh, I'm going to see how big the island is. And I literally put on my my tracker and I walked around the island. Mm-hmm. And it was a quarter of a mile. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So I'm on a little island in the middle of the Atlantic. <laughs> wow. You can literally walk around in less than five minutes. Um, oh and so... <laughs> um. That night, uh, we're laying there. There's no air conditioning. The wind wasn't blowing, and I'm I'm just I'm just sopping in sweat. It's just oh, it's no. just hot. And then it starts cooling off, and that's because it started raining. Mm. So this huge thunderstorm moves in, and we have horizontal rain. Um. And so I'm trying to keep the door closed because the door wouldn't latch and the wind was blowing the door open and blowing rain in the room. It was blowing rain through the walls. Oh like I said, this was a hut and then water's flowing underneath the door. Cause I tried to put brace the door with our stuff. I put all, we didn't have a lot of stuff cause we were just going to be there for a couple of days, but it was blow it blow our stuff away. So I'm standing and uh, holding the door shut in the dark cause they had no electricity. And I'm like, okay, so I got to hold this door shut. The water's coming through it's about a quarter of an inch deep on the floor of the hut. 
And I'm like, okay, there's there's got to be an answer to this. And I, I realized, I remembered earlier in the day, my wife used the stick that was there. She used it to prop up in the window. And we had dropped the stick because the water was also coming in that window. And so <clears throat> I said, it's got to be the stick. That's got to be the clue. So I run over and I grab the stick. And I use the stick to prop the, the door closed. Uh, but by this time, our bed is just soaked. And I don't know if oh. it's sweat, it's part rain, it's part, it's everything. Oh. So the bed is soaking wet, the floor is soaking wet, the there's stuff falling from the ceiling. Fortunately, there was a mosquito net that was catching mo- most, not all of it, most of it. It was it was a, a pretty, <laughs> a pretty oh rough my night. Gosh. <laughs> wow. What um, an adventure. Yeah, but the sandblast is beautiful if you come down to Panama. I'd encourage you to go out there, but just, just do the day tour, you know, <laughs> just do the day tour. Because the worst part of that night was they picked us up. They picked us up at 530 that morning from our hotel. And it was a three hour, three and a half hour drive to get to the dock, to get on the boat. Mm-hmm. And then they drive you out to that island, just drop you off. And you spend the whole day on an island with nothing. Then I got there, there was, there was no place to sit. There was no anything. So yeah. I, I, took these cinder blocks that happened to be there. I built, I built a bench for us to sit on. <laughs> oh, Alan, <laughs> so my like goodness. A, there were other people, but that, you know, we didn't know them, but it was like, so it was like being almost on a deserted Island where there was, there were some locals, but you didn't really interact with them so much. Um, but once they started the next day, when they picked up the tour and then started taking us from Island to Island, it was, it was beautiful. So I would oh, say, wow. if you do the sandblast, do a day tour, uh, don't stay overnight. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it will oh not goodness. be a good experience anyway you go, uh, because it's beyond roughing it. Um, well, well yeah. you know, and, and I, and I can't, I can't imagine those storms aren't regular occurrence down there. So this is probably something a lot of people that have gone down there have, have actually experienced, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was rough. So it was two nights of not getting a lot of sleep because we had to get up so early the first, the night mm-hmm. before, you know, and then we get going and, because we flew in from Mexico City, spent the night, we got in late, and we had to get up early. And then here I am standing at <laughs> one o'clock in the morning, standing oh against, leaning against the door just so the wind won't blow it open, and I'm just soaking wet. But um, you know, wow. it's an experience story. Um, yeah, you got to have some of those, and you got to have some that are that are you know. In the end, you can look at them and say that was kind of funny. Because we were never in any danger, I don't think, but uh, mm-hmm. lightning and thunder and being in a little wood hut and it's falling apart around us and water's coming in. and Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what an adventure. But how yeah. neat that you got to see most of Panama while you were on this vacation. That sounds like a really neat thing to do. Yeah, we went, we went down along the Pacific coast. And then after we did the Pacific coast, uh, we went to Mexico. We flew back. We did the... Um, we did the, sorry, the sandblast, which is also, it's on the Atlantic side. We're on the Caribbean side. That's in a bit, sort of the same side of Panama, if you will. The part of it's in the Atlantic, part of it's in the um, Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're up in the Caribbean part. So we, then okay. we were able to drive kind of back and around and, and get back in. But um, yeah, it was, it was, it was good. And it was good to be able to see it because so many of our guests will come through and say, well, what do you think about this place? What do you think about that place? And mm-hmm. I've never been able to really guide them or give in, give them any advice at all. And now I can just say it's, you know, yeah. unless you just really, really want to stay in a ratty little cabin on an island, 
I said, so if you go, but if you go, it's like, okay, I can tell you, you want to stay on Dog Island or Devil Island. You don't want to stay on the island we were on because mm -hmm. it was nothing. Um, nothing. Sure. <laughs> and, wow. and it was a quarter of a mile all the way around it. So there's no like, you're not going to go for a run. You're not going to go for a walk. <laughs> no, you could do Unless sprints. It's do like laps. you're on a track. Yeah. yeah. You want to do like laps. <laughs> yeah, we got you covered there. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. That's really neat, Alan. How long have you lived in Panama now? Uh, five years. Five years. Almost five years, yeah. Neat. And now you know the whole island or the whole place. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we've learned a lot about the geography of the of the country. So it was, it was a good... It's kind of weird when you say, I, I saw the whole country in three weeks, um, but... Yes. <laughs> yes. Try that in the United States. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, That's so, impressive. Good. So how are things up there? Good. Good. You know, I can't remember if I had told you right before you took your vacation, my daughter got engaged. So pretty excited about that. We just helped my son move apartments from one city to another city. So he's doing well. And Mike and I took a vacation ourselves. We were in Vegas for um, a long weekend while you were on your excursion. And so now just getting ready for the fall. So yeah, yeah same old, same old. <laughs> well, I know you're pretty excited. Are you ready to start talking about running? You know I am. <laughs> yep. right, so let's let's do this. Sure. Carissa Galloway is a registered dietitian nutritionist and a certified personal trainer with a diverse background in nutrition, fitness, and television hosting. She is an internationally recognized nutrition and fitness expert and has appeared nationally on ETV, The Daily Buzz, CBS College Sports, and The Home Shopping Network. She regularly appears in nutrition segments across the United States. She is also a six-time marathoner. She is active in the endurance industry and has worked as a sports announcer for ESPN's World, Wide World of Sports, CBS's College Sports, and as an on-court EMC for the NBA's Orlando Magic. Since 2005, she has worked as a race announcer for the Run Disney, announcing events across the country. She is also one of the first U.S. female announcers for Ironman triathlons. Jeff Galloway was an average teenage runner who kept learning and working harder until he became an Olympian. He is the author of the best-selling running book, Galloway's Book on Running, and was a Runner's World columnist for more than 20 years, as well as an international speaker for more than 200 running and fitness sessions each year. He has worked with over 400,000 average people training for specific goals. He is the designer of the Walk Run Low Mileage Marathon Training Program, Galloway Run Walk Run, and has over 98% success rate. With no further ado, here's Carissa Galloway and Jeff Galloway. Carissa, Jeff, welcome to 40 Plus Fitness. Glad to be here. Yes, thank you so much for having us. This is fun. I've never been on a podcast with Jeff, so this is this is cool. Good. I, <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I love having two guests on, particularly when they're coming from kind of different perspectives, different worlds. Uh, Jeff, I, I've known about Jeff my almost my entire adult life uh, because I was into running when I was younger, and I was reading his articles in Runner's World and and all that kind of th stuff. And so it's I've been following his career for quite some time, 
And then, of course, had him on the podcast for his walk, his run, walk, run method book that was back in 2017. And uh, I was just a young buck as a, as a podcaster back then. Uh, this is going to be episode 612. Um, wow. Congratulations. <laughs> but, but yeah, thank you. But Chris, having you on now and, and bringing it in from the nutrition perspective, because there's a there's a lot of myths out there. There's a lot of uh, old stuff we just used to do because we used to do it, you know, I just, that's what you do and how you do it. And if you don't do it that way, well, that's how that guy did it and when. So I guess I got to do what he did. Right. And so a lot of the stuff that we learned, um, we have to unlearn. And this book was a good opportunity for me to go through and say, okay, this is what I remember. And this is what I thought I knew. And so I want to go back and look at it and see what's really there. So this was just a good opportunity for for me to even question some of my long-held beliefs about running and nutrition. So I appreciate having both of you on the show. So this book is called Run, Walk, Eat, a practical nutrition guide to help runners and walkers improve their performance and maximize their health. And, and the reason I love that title and this concept is that so many times the, the professionals that we read about or we follow, uh, they are not maximizing their health. They are, they are maximizing, optimizing their performance. And they're doing things that the average everyday runner probably shouldn't be doing if they want to live a long, healthy life. And so I I'm, I'm really appreciate the opportunity to have you on the show. Before we really dive into this book, though, I want to go back, Jeff, with you. I had you on, like I said, in 2017. That was episode 248. I'll have links in the show notes for this one to go back to that one. But the book is The Run, Walk, Run Method. And since that book, I have to say that's probably become the most predominant running approach, training approach, whether you're a beginner or a professional, you know, advanced athlete. I just hear everybody talking about this run, walk, run method as a way of optimizing their performance and their training and, and just really kind of building out a career of running or a, a body of work of running. Um, can you walk us through, <laughs> no pun intended, the run, walk, run method and how someone would go about utilizing that? And then obviously, I want them to go get your book and maybe take some of the courses that are offered out there. But um, it, can you just walk us through a little bit to summarize what that program is or how that works? Well, I've made it my life to study anthropology as relating to running. I've been fascinated by it from the time I started running back in the 50s, and I, I'd latch on to every article that I can read in that area. Um, one of the foremost sources that uh, has really helped me is a book called Story of the Human Body. It's written by an evolutionary biologist from Harvard who has spent his whole career uh, studying ancient man and how we have evolved and bringing exercise into one of the pieces of the equation. And what he believes as coordinated with a whole lot of anthropologists is that our ancestors didn't do very much running. They could run, and it certainly was something they used to get away from predators and to go in on hunts and things like that. But they didn't do very much of it because the primary cause of death until very recently among Homo sapiens has been starvation. And our ancestors weren't about to run and use up what uh, the resources that were very limited. Uh, and so 
they uh, would mostly walk. Uh, and, and so we're designed to walk nonstop, continuously for our lives. I mean, we are endurance walkers. Uh, running definitely played in there, but according to this source book, it was more short amounts of running. And one of the key eras was between 2 million years ago and 1 million years ago when our brains developed to what they are today. And the one thing that is cited in the book as, as transformative was a hunting method called persistence hunting that had our ancestors stalking animals and then jogging a little bit to spook them, stalking them again, jogging a little bit. In other words, it was run, walk, run. And in the process, they solved lots of problems. They re-engineered their brains to what we can do today, multitasking and all that stuff that we do today. Um, Now, because orthopedically, we weren't designed to run nonstop. Uh, If we try to do that on long distances, sooner or later, something's going to break. And and often a lot of things are going to break. We also use our fuel up uh, at a tremendous rate uh, so that on long runs, we run the risk or we run out of fuel. Uh, And uh, there are a whole lot of other negatives there. So basically, the origin of it is what we were designed to do, according to the anthropologist. And when we do it, if we have the right ratio and the right amounts of running a little bit, and then walking. With each walk break, we erase the fatigue buildup on the muscles, and then also we erase the stress buildup on weak links that could cause and do cause injury. So um, by adjusting the run-walk run, every person can be in control over their injuries, over their fatigue level, and how quick they will recover. Yeah. And there's also a lot of psychological benefits to kind of taking that break off the stress of a run uh, and just letting yourself, you know, be in the moment of, okay, I'm, I'm slowing down. My breath is slower. I'm, I'm feeling better. And so you, you just feel stronger through, through that exercise than if you just tried to gut it out. There's something really empowering about being in control. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about that fueling, because I agree with you. It it, it makes total sense. Uh, we were able to sweat, which uh, was kind of a competitive advantage over a lot of the animals that would be hunted. Uh, yes. They could only sprint. They could run a lot faster than we could. So we weren't going to run them down. But if we were persistent and, and going in their direction and, and continuing to go in their direction, Eventually, they fatigue to a point they can't run, and we don't want to be at that point because if there's a predator around the corner, well, then we're in trouble because we can't sprint away. So there's a lot of benefit to maintaining control. That's <laughs> a good word, control. Yeah, and animals don't have sweat glands. We have billions of sweat glands. The difference is if you're out there running for a long distance, you're going to overheat at some point uh, or at least come close to it. And that's what uh, our ancestors did to run down game. Yeah. So now a lot of people will think that the stomach is a fuel tank, and that's not actually true. Our muscles and our liver 
are actually a fuel tank and our body fat is a fuel tank. Can you talk a little bit about how the muscle and liver store fuel, how fat can be used for fuel and how kind of this way of running kind of optimizes both? Well, I will just give my take on it and then I want Carissa to add her input to it too. Um, The bottom line is that uh, if we go at a gentle enough pace, and this doesn't have to mean that you're just piddling along, conditioned athletes can go almost at their top pace for a marathon and still burn predominantly fat. Um, There is always some glycogen that's needed, but the two sources are glycogen, which is the stored form of carbohydrate, and the other form is fat, uh, which we have uh, virtually an unlimited uh, amount of that uh, compared with the distances that we would have to go in workouts. Now, the uh, way that these are burned, uh, glycogen is used predominantly at the beginning of a run. And uh, most of the studies show that runners will burn predominantly glycogen for about the first 30 minutes. And then if we are running aerobically, which means the muscles are getting enough oxygen, at at about 30 minutes, the uh, fuel source can be shifted over to fat. And that's a darn good thing because it will put in reserve the glycogen stores. Now, one of the purposes of glycogen is to fuel the brain. Your brain's only fuel source is blood glucose. And uh, when it starts to get a little bit low, the storage areas are opened up and the uh, blood glucose level during a run is is boosted that way. So when you run, you're going to use up some of the stored amount of glycogen, which again, as you indicate, is limited. Um, According to a lot of experts, uh, even trained athletes, when they're running to capacity, are going to tend to run out of their glycogen supply around 20 miles. Not good if you're running a marathon, but (laughs) with Run, Walk, Run, you can spare that. That's what we call the bonk. Everybody calls that the bonk. You know, when you hit the wall, that's that that's that point where you've been running beyond your threshold. You've been using that muscle and liver glycogen, and then you run out if you haven't been refueling. That's exactly right. Carissa, I'd like your uh, input on that. Well, Jeff, everything you said is right on. And I, I, you know, I know you have a lot of experience in talking with athletes about when are we using these different types of glycogen? What are our goals? And I think that's how we need to look at this is you know, what is your goal with running? Why are you running? Are you running to be an elite level athlete and and post amazing times? Are you in a training plan? Are you running because that's a healthy activity? That's a 30 minute thing that you do in the morning. It helps you with your calorie deficit. It helps you with cardiovascular health. Are you running for mental health benefits? Are you kind of what the book is targeted to is an everyday individual that wants to be empowered to be able to achieve these things like half marathons and marathons, but maintain a relatively healthy lifestyle. So I think when we're talking about, you know, carb loading and glycogen stores, we want to look at the end result too, because that's going to sort of justify what we're doing. Because if you're an elite level athlete and you're training for a 10 K and you're going to go out for say a 30 to 45 minute morning run, your coach is probably going to have you eat. 
if you're someone who is maybe more focused on fitness benefits, but also weight loss, when we're looking at that 30 to 45 minute run, we can say, well, hey, I want to tap into those fat stores and things like that. So I'm not going to eat. So I think the answer is in the end result. And what we tried to do in the book was mention what elite athletes do, but also mention, hey, if you're someone out there who's looking to maximize your health, enjoy fitness, and also at the end of the day, feel good about you as a person, here's some other options that are going to get you to that finish line safely. And then, okay, when we're going over that one hour mark, that's when we're talking about adding back in that fat. If we're going for, excuse me, carbohydrates, if we're going for that optimal performance, that's when we're saying, okay, 60% of your diet needs to come from carbohydrates. So all of that's there. And I'm a big fan of what Jeff said is when it's possible, when it's safe, doing that maybe fasted state cardio so that you're tapping into those those benefits. Yeah. I, you know, when I was running, doing it regular, I, I did like five marathons in a year and then I did an ultra. And so back in the day, it was like, okay, well, no, you have to be eating the whole time and you have to be drinking water the whole time. And you have to do this, this huge meal of, of, you know, carbs the night before and, you know, spaghetti and pasta. And so, yeah, I would do the 3000 calorie load up the night before. And then I was trying to eat, you know, as I was going, but as I've gotten older and, uh, weight loss became more of a thing I was, I was considering because when I was, when I was training and I was, I was doing those things, I was always gaining weight. So I would start training for a marathon. I'd be 185. And then by the time I was running the marathon, I was in the Clydesdales of 195. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what are you doing? What are you doing lining up here for an ultra dude? You're you know, you're 30 pounds heavier than you should be uh to be doing this stuff. But what I found is yes, my body, my body can go about four hours with without any food at all. You know, um, if I just go and I keep myself at a slow, steady pace, my body's gonna burn fat, it's gonna burn some glycogen, and I'm not really gonna hit a wall until about four hours. And, you know, so, you know, that's what I've learned. And this is me being in my mid fifties, late fifties, uh, seeing this, this is a, as where I am. I wish I had known then what I know now, <laughs> I probably wouldn't have eaten as much pasta as I did. Uh, but in the book, you guys brought up, uh, you know, you brought up the carb loading and how, yeah, for some elite level athletes that might still be a valid approach. But you came forward with another one you called the modified carb loading approach that I thought for most people is going to probably be more appropriate to their goals and how they want to run their race. Can you talk about the modified carb loading process? Yeah, so we include the modified carb loading process and a traditional carb loading process in the in the book. And, you know, Jeff speaks from experience from training runners for 50 plus years. I have to put on that registered dietitian's hat and I feel like I always have to say, well, if I go to my education, it says this, right? And that's that traditional carb loading plan because that's still in every sports nutrition handbook. That's when someone says, how do I feel for a race? There's research out there and there is research now that says maybe we can do things a little bit differently, but that's still sort of the gold standards. But when I look at those numbers, the people I work with, the people Jeff works with, even Jeff's son, who is my husband, who can run a sub three hour marathon, that's not necessarily what they need. And everything you said about gaining weight is what happens to people. Then they get frustrated with their diet. They get frustrated with their performance and they want to give up. And that is my least favorite thing in the world. I want people to keep feeling confident and empowered to make better nutrition choices. So with the modified carb loading program, that's when you're looking ahead at those long runs. For some people, that's over an hour. For some people, that's 90 minutes. For some people, that's even longer. But 
as again, as a dietitian, I always want to make sure that we're making the most people safe. So let's say 60 minutes for that. And then it's looking at adding in one additional carb, basically the five days up until the race or the long run. For women, a lot of us do lower carbs. And sometimes at night, I recommend that to a lot of my clients. So for the women in particular, it's important. Hey, these are the nights that we're not thinking about the scale. We're treating ourselves like an athlete and thinking about performance. And then that race morning, you're going to have about 150 to 200 grams of carb three to four hours before the race, uh, a little carbohydrate snack like that. So it's really focusing on just, let's just not forget the carbs. Let's not go crazy. We don't need to have 3000 calories, as you said, because the impact on our performance is going to be minimal and the risk of weight gain digestive discomfort, all kinds of things is going to be much higher. Jeff, do you fall in line with that, that thinking? Absolutely. Uh, and of course there are a growing number of people that we work with who have diabetes or are borderline and, uh, they absolutely need to eat something before running or most of them do. Uh, and of course, uh, Carissa, addresses these issues in the book extremely well. Uh, but my whole take on the carbohydrate loading thing is that too much loading leads to unloading during the event, and that can be downright <laughs> embarrassing. I've got stories. Uh, <laughs> I bet but, you do. <laughs> I've got stories, yeah. Um didn't bring the paper, and uh, that was that was not a cool experience. But uh, it was a trail run, so that um, yes, bears do um. <laughs> places to hide. There, yeah. <laughs> One interesting thing, having gone through that period when before carbohydrate loading was a thing, and then to have it come on the scene and be written up in Runner's World, and then have uh, everybody look into it and try it out. The research, if you really look back at it, was small population studies, and the effect was actually quite minimal. But because there was no research that applied to running nutrition back then, and it was the only research showing that there was some benefit, everybody latched on to it. But I think that it was really pretty, pretty minimal. Well, you bring up something that's really important and and it's something I talk about quite a bit is that we're all we're all bio unique. You know, even the three of us, you put the three of us in a room and the way we're going to eat, the way we're going to process that, the way we're going to function in training is is unique to each of us and based on our age and our experiences and everything else. And and you brought this up in the book and I think this is really really important is you don't do anything on race day that you didn't didn't train doing so as you're training and you're going to get ready to do that probably that long saturday run or long sunday run whenever you want to do your long run you get to practice this stuff a little bit but with carb loading again you don't want a 3000 calorie meal the night before and, and be doing that for four or five weeks in a row while you're trying to figure all this stuff out so there's an opportunity for you to practice this and i think with the modified version you have there uh, that's going to be a lot more attainable for for most of us as uh, amateur athletes, if you will. <laughs> now, uh, you brought up something, Chris, I think that's important is a lot of people do, they get into running. They say, okay, well, I want to run because I want to exercise and exercise is going to burn calories and the calories are going to help me lose weight. And so, like you said, a lot of people will come into running and, and walking. They'll think this is how I lose weight. And it doesn't entirely work out that way. 
Uh, in the book, you brought up the three P's of weight loss, which I think are, are something for aspiring weight loss runners <laughs> or walkers to do is to consider there's other things going on here besides the exercise. And that's in your three P's. Could you talk about those? Yes, I'll talk about them. And before we do, just to mention to people, exercise is fantastic. We should all exercise because we like the benefits of exercise. And science says when we do that, we're more likely to stick with it. But when it comes to weight loss, you have the weight loss comes from the kitchen. Weight loss comes from food. Weight maintenance is where exercise becomes more important. So is training for a marathon a good goal? Yes. Is it necessarily going to help you lose weight? No, because there's reasons in the book about why that doesn't happen, uh, rationalization, building up those glycogen stores. But with nutrition, the three Ps, I think we don't think about nutrition. If we took time to, you know, we write out training plans for everything. If you have work, your boss is asking you for your action plan, your goals and things like that. But with nutrition, we think I want to eat better. And then we wake up the next day and we go, hmm, how am I going to do that today? So the three Ps are to activate that brain, which we talk about also in the book, to help you think a little bit more about your food. And what I see in a lot of clients is when they do that, when they activate these, you already knew what to do to improve your nutrition and your weight. It's getting that motivation to do it. So when we look at the three Ps, we've got prepare, preparing what you're going to eat, packing food and snacks where you go so you don't end up hangry. And then again, you're going to overeat and rationalize that it's okay to have poor choices. Like my Chick-fil-A I had yesterday because I was on the phone working for four hours and my husband showed up with it and I was ravenous. And there was a kale salad with it, but that's okay. But had I planned better, um, I would have missed that very delightful sandwich, but I would have felt better as the day went on. So prepare is the first one. And that goes right along with portions. Uh, the One of the biggest problems with people's diet right now is the portion size. They're too big, whether that's something we're self-serving or whether things that we go into restaurants, we accept as the portion size. So paying attention to how much you eat when you're at home, please measure, especially your carbohydrates. It's not hard at all. Keep those dry measuring spoons. If you're making cereal in the morning, if you're portioning out pasta or rice, you'll be surprised how much you have and cutting those portion sizes are going to add up to meaningful sustainable calorie reductions to support weight loss. When you think about proteins, um, you don't necessarily need to weigh them, but the palm of your hand is an ample size for your protein. Your palm Allen is bigger than mine because you need a little bit more. I think Jeff and I are probably about the same size. Uh, so ours can be <laughs> uh, pretty similar. Jeff's kept that uh, distance runner fatigue, uh, physique going very well. Um, but the last one of the three Ps is protein. Again, protein is important for a lot of reasons. Science shows that people who eat a higher protein diet tend to weigh less. People who eat more than 25 grams of protein at breakfast eat less throughout the day and weigh less as well. But sometimes when especially it comes to snacks and things, our brain doesn't think protein first. It thinks carbs. It thinks grabbing. Well, if we're getting the protein, we're boosting satiety, meaning we're pushing off hungry. We're feeling fuller longer. But what we're also doing is we're getting in calories that are going to nourish, that are going to help us feel full. And the protein helps keep blood sugar levels sta level stable, which more and more, if we look away from fitness and we look into brain health and we look into longevity, blood sugar spikes and consistent blood sugar, we don't want the spikes because those have been shown to impact longevity, to impact cognitive health. So this is just a healthier, more balanced way to eat. And it comes down to preparing the food you can, packing food, 
portioning out your food, not overeating and making a focus for protein, uh, you know, aiming for a good source of protein in every meal or snack. Yeah. I, I love those three. Like I said, um, you know, that they make it simple it, the way you're thinking about your food, but I will say that first one prepare, it, it can kind of intimidate people because, you know, you're talking about, well, okay, now I have to think ahead and I have to have a plan and I have to actually do the cooking typically. Um, and so the meal plan, uh, again, meal plan and meal prep, I think are really, really important, but the meal prep, it does. And I've, I've talked to clients and they're like, oh, gosh, you know, I, I really don't want to spend hours and hours and hours on a Sunday, even if I know it's going to save me a ton of time during the week and make it a lot easier for me to pick that food up. Uh, they just, you know, they, they see meal, meal prep as a challenge. Can you talk a little bit about why meal prep is so key? Yeah, there's two levels to meal prep. So let's talk about the one. Let's just think about it. We don't have to cook anything. Let's just sit down and write down an idea of what we plan to eat that week. So maybe it's like two breakfasts we can do. What are our lunches going to be? And the five dinner meals. Because I think that provides a framework and that's a start. So let's just think about that. Because if you've already planned out what you're having for dinner and you know this is going to make great leftovers, even if you don't cook ahead, you already have that framework and you're more likely to stick with that. But when you can meal prep, as you know, you said on a Sunday, it sounds like great to you. We talked about this offline for you to be able to grill yeah. and have the crock pot going. And I thought, man, that sounds amazing. I have two kids and we're running around. So I would love a couple hours that <laughs> I could meal prep. But all you're doing is putting your health at your fingertips. Even if it's an hour, give yourself that time to make the choices easier later on. That goes back to something I say a lot. Eat the best you can when you can. If you can open your fridge and easily see that you've got some proteins and veggies already cooked and it's only going to take you about five minutes to put that together, you're going to do it. But meal prep doesn't have to happen like for you on one day. If you're baking, you know, chicken or salmon one night, keep that oven going, bake the other things as well. If you're cooking pasta, cook more and see how you can incorporate that into other meals. So if the one day of meal prep seems too much for you, start with meal planning. And then anytime you're cooking, add in a little bit more prep, you know, make more so that you're making leftovers. If the grill is on, my gosh, throw as much as you can on it because it's going to help you. And then the crock pot is a great tool. The instant pot is a great tool. The All of those different things are tools. And we have so many tools in our disposal now that you're able to get that information. So I would say, think about prep. Think about how can this fit into my lifestyle for me? It's never going to be on a Sunday that my meal prep happens. It's most likely going to be on a Monday or Tuesday because I announce races. Those happen on the weekends. So on Sunday night, I'll be meal planning. I'll be writing it down my little list. I'm going to be using Instacart. So think about tools you can use, technology you can use. Is part of your meal prep using a meal delivery service? Also, that's okay. You don't have to be a Pinterest chef to make progress with your nutrition. But if you can find tools and prep tools and time that will make you feel more confident in your nutrition choices and you'll be able to stick with them. And the other thing I like to say to people is you don't need to have, you can have the same five meals every single week. That's fine. You know, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with you if you do that. And as you do it, maybe you'll add, you know, it's taco Tuesday, but we're going to do a stir fry twist on it or a Greek twist on it or things like that. But you then you know every week, Monday I bake something, taco on Tuesday, pasta on Wednesday, salad on Thursday, we go out on Friday. 
that too simplifies your life and allows you the time to prep. And then you'll find shortcuts that work for you. Yeah. One of the shortcuts that you had in the book that I I really like, and I talk to my clients about it all the time. We don't, I can't do that where I live now, but you can go into just about any grocery store, any grocery store in the United States. And they're going to have a section back in the deli where they are doing rotisserie chicken. And, and you buy that. And depending on the size of your family and what they eat, uh, that could be four meals. That could be almost five meals, depending on the chicken. But, you know, so you just you pick off that, you get it set up, and you basically have, at least for family of two, two meals done. Or you buy two of them, and you've got meals for people for a few days, and easy, it's done, you know. And then you just come up with your vegetables, and and you fill out your meal for that evening, and boom, there you are. Very easy and done for you, or at least mostly for you. You still have to go in there and get it, and that's where the prepare comes in, because it's, it's, it's thought, it's forethought. You've already thought planning. about this. Yeah, we yeah. do that a lot. We do the salad the first night we get it. We pick it off. I put it on top of those ready, you know, those bag salads. I'll add an extra spinach, and then what I'm trying to do now is not use the salad dressing that comes in it, because I'm trying to focus on more avocado oil or homemade salad dressing. So that's another discussion, but um, <laughs> if that's where you are, there's nothing wrong with that. Then the next day we'll put it with like a baked potato. Then the next day I'll put it into a taco or something like that. And then that's just super easy. Don't have to think about it, but you feel good about what you've eaten. Yeah. And you got your protein. So you've hit two of your peas and you're, and you're, we well, got all three of them, portion yeah. and protein right there. Boom. Done. <laughs> so Carissa, I define wellness as being the healthiest, fittest, and happiest you can be. What are three strategies or tactics to get and stay well? I love that. Healthiest, fittest, happiest you could be. Um, My first one is to reflect. So take that quiet time and think about what you're doing right now. Right. Start on a positive note. You know, your brain's probably going to instantly think about all the things that you need to work on and make better, but that's not where I want you to be. I want you to reflect on what you're doing right, right now. That's number one. Number two, give yourself two goals with an action item each that you can achieve to get there. Even if it's, I want to lose a hundred pounds, your action item is I want to walk more next week, or I want to add in more vegetables next week, a very easy actionable item. And then the other one is to bring energy to it. Know that this goal, this lifestyle does take some work and the work isn't always hard. Jeff gets out and walks. I can't tell you how many times a day. Does that take energy? Yes. Does he love it? Yes. I love going out for a run. My husband, it's 2.30 right now in Orlando. It's about 95. He just went out on the run. Was that hard? Did it take energy? Yes. But does it have benefits? So be aware that a healthy lifestyle takes energy and it's good energy, but don't be afraid of putting that in. So Jeff, I'll repeat the question for you. I define wellness as being the healthiest, fittest, and happiest you can be. What are three strategies or tactics to get and stay well? Well, the first one is what Carissa uses all the time, and and you can identify with it when I say it, and that is cognitive strategies. Uh, If you have a cognitive strategy for whatever you want to do, then you activate your human brain that uh, takes control over what you're going to do. It is the CEO of your brain, and that's a good thing, because if you just do one thing and go out and decide, well, I'm just going to see what happens. Then you activate your ancient subconscious monkey brain, and uh, it's going to be okay for a while. But once stress builds up from any source, 
the monkey brain is going to start secreting anxiety hormones and then negative hormones to make you less motivated. So have a cognitive strategy for everything you do. Secondly, exercise. The whole thing about exercise is verified now by thousands of studies worldwide in that it activates your brain and keeps it young. It grows new brain cells. It uh, stimulates, first of all, the good attitude circuit, the vitality circuit to give you more energy, and the empowerment circuit. And those circuits then stimulate positive brain hormones that will affect your day in a positive way. And then finally, put on your calendar each day what you're going to do with eating and what you're going to do with your exercise and make it of the most two important appointments that you have that day. Excellent. Thank you. So if someone wanted to learn more about you and your book, the run, it's run, walk, eat, uh, where would you like for me to send them? Well, they can always find me. If they want to learn more about me, they can find me on Instagram, Carissa underscore Gway for the book. We've got it on shop.jeffgalloway.com, but it's also at all major uh, stores as well. And then I know Jeff and I, for anyone out here who's listening, this is going to be in October, uh, the first run Disney race of the season, the Wine and Dine Half Marathon. Jeff and I will be at the expo, so we'll have a time. Jeff's going to be there all the time. I will be there at a set time. We'll be there to chat about the book, sign the book, and things like that. But we're just excited uh, that people like you, Alan, are interested in the book, that you've read it, that you have good feedback. I All I want is for people to just take away one thing that will make their life healthier that they can do for the rest of their life. And that right there for their health and their wellness will be a huge win. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being a part of 40 Plus Fitness. Thank you. Great to be here, Alan. Welcome back, Raz. Hey, Alan, my favorite topics, running and eating. <laughs> and let me and not necessarily girl. in that order. <laughs> no, <laughs> either way. <laughs> Run and eat at the same time. Do, yeah. do you? <laughs> no, Never I'm a huge, a fan of that. no, yeah. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Jeff Galloway. Always have been. I've used his run, walk, run method on many occasions. I talk about it all the time. In fact, we just recently had a whole lot of discussions about the Galloway method in um, a couple of the run clubs that I participate in. So I know his method is still out there and super popular, but this isn't always about running. This is also about eating. And, And so this is interesting to hear from Carissa, who uh, married Jeff's son, um, about, I, and totally interested in her book about uh, running and walking and eating. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that was the point. When I, when I reached out to the publicist on this, they were like, well, you know, Carissa's the one who's doing most of the interviews. And I said, mm-hmm. I want both of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I want both. That's of them. awesome. Um, and I'm glad I did that because it did. Mm-hmm. I think it did put a lot more balance in the episode where we could talk about both because it, you know, it's great. Talk about nutrition around running, but I think it's better when you can talk about running and nutrition and really kind of mm-hmm. dive a little bit into both. Uh, yeah. I did have Jeff on for the run, walk, run method uh, a while back, uh, 2017. Mm-hmm. So the book's been out for a while and the method has been proven over and over and over and over again, even outside of what Jeff does with his own clients. 
Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a movement, uh, and it it's is. a great way to look at running as a way of letting yourself, your body, work at the level that it's comfortable at. But mm-hmm. yes, um, nutrition is important, and predominantly because, again, and they acknowledge this, so many people get into running thinking, okay, well, this is a weight loss effort. You know, if I mm-hmm. start running more, my activities more, I'm burning more calories, I should lose weight. Mm-hmm. And then they're a little frustrated when it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I fall into that category too, because I, I did start running in my weight loss uh, journey decades ago and um, was just as surprised as everybody else that um, just because you're running doesn't mean the pounds are just going to fall right off. <laughs> but, you know, runners fall into the same categories as everybody else in the world who finds themselves with a few pounds to lose is we lose track of what we're eating, when we're eating it, portion sizes, calories. I mean, we do, we make all the same mistakes as everybody else. Yeah. Well, you had a really good run this morning. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, that was a really good run. I did really well. So mm-hmm. Saturday and you ran the 5K and you maybe you got a PR mm-hmm. and then it's like, okay, after the race, there's the beer. And then it's like, hey, let's yeah. go to the pizza place. You're like, cool. And then you, and then, you know, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. step on the scale the next Monday and you're like, what the hell what? just happened? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. It's like, you've seen my, my lifestyle, Alan. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, this happens to a lot of people and, and there's, there's just so much to it, but I'm so fascinated by Carissa's modified carb loading approach, but also her three P's of weight loss. And yeah. and it's something that everybody should be paying attention to. And, and, um, First, let's let's just talk about that carb loading myth. And I just I got to quote Jeff right now. Jeff said, "Too much loading leads to unloading during the race," and it is yeah. so true. It, it, it does. It so does true. on the longer runs. It, I, I, mm-hmm. yes, absolutely. You, that that stuff's got to go somewhere. And you could try as much as you want to at four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning before you get out on your race start, because they usually get you at the start at at six o'clock or seven. And you, you don't. And so I've, I've done the runs and I'm like, oh boy. And I was Mm -hmm. on one where they didn't have uh, facilities. So you're dropping trial right there. You know, you go off the trail a little because you don't want anybody to step in it, but you, you didn't, you didn't run, you know, you didn't come out here thinking this is what you were going to be doing with your day. (laughs) So here you are. (laughs) Um, And yeah, you know, again, you stop for five, 10 minutes on a long, you know, 50 mile run and you're not, not killing your time. So it's not like that's a thing, but it's just, yeah, you're just doing something you didn't intend to do and just watch it. It is, you know, there's two things like one, too much fiber it's just going to mess up your stomach. It's going to mess up your race, which is a nightmare in and of itself. But the other thing too, is, is that, you know, you think you're, you're eating all these calories to fuel your muscles and your liver, but I mean, you're not paying it to how much, how much do you really need? Like, do you need a whole plate of pasta the night before a race? No, you know, you don't need to overload it. And that's where, again, calories and portion control just kind of go out the window. So, well, it was a, it was bro science for runners, uh, is what it was. <laughs> yes, you know, it was it. like, well, if I have mm-hmm. more carbs in my system, then I have more energy. And if I have more energy, I can run better. And mm-hmm. so there's just this kind of, it's the same thing. Like someone will sit there and say, well, you should take a multivitamin. I'm like, well, what if I don't have any deficiencies? Then mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, basically peeing away dollars. And mm-hmm. this is the same thing. If you go into and you go to a pasta restaurant the night before and you ordered three servings of pasta and you, mm-hmm. you know, 
which is really equates to about nine, um, then yeah. you're way overeating and that's oh, yeah. not necessarily going to benefit you as much as you might think it would. You do need to make sure that your glycogen levels are where they can be. Mm-hmm. And so if you know, if you, if you've been doing some heavy training, uh, a few days of a little extra carbs is going to help make sure at least you're topped up. You don't want to go mm-hmm. in not topped up, but, mm-hmm. but more to the fact is that unless you're doing something exceptional, or running really, trying to run really, really fast, your body is capable of giving you as much energy as you need for the entire run with no nutrition at all, mm-hmm. no carb ups. It mm-hmm. will burn body fat as long as you keep yourself in a zone of running. And that's what the run, walk, run does. It keeps you in a zone where you're burning fat for most of your run. And therefore, the carbohydrates are just sort of a buffer. They're just a point of, okay, if you happen to run a little faster than you could keep up with just fat, then that's going to happen. So it's it's really a function of paying attention to your nutrition while you're training to learn how your body works at various mm-hmm. distances, at various speeds, and finding a pace that allows you to do the run based on the way that you want to do your nutrition. And there are optimals for everybody and it's a little different for everybody. So it's really about practice, practice, practice. It is. It is. And even with nutrition. Yes. And just one sidebar real quick too. I want people to remember that when you're in the taper phase, like if you're running marathons, even half marathons or longer, you're going to have at least one, probably two weeks of tapering, which means that you're going to be running less. So all of the food that you normally eat, normal throughout the week eating, you're not going to be burning it off and training like you had been for the six, eight, 10 weeks leading up to your big race day. So as you're tapering, you're eating the same foods, your same normal way of eating, but you're not burning it off on training like you had been. So all of that stuff is going to get stored in your muscles. It's going to get stored in your liver. It's going to be fat. It's going to be ready for you. So you really don't need the last minute carbo loading before big race day. You already got it. It's already done. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, again, unless you're looking at placing uh, for something and you want to really run hard, people Mm -hmm. who run really, really hard, uh, well, they're going to have to new. They're going to have to eat a different way. They're going to have to train mm-hmm. a different way um, than than most of us. Most of us, we're just happy to finish, get our t-shirt and our medal, and yes. have the beer and move on. <laughs> yep. But um, yeah. you know, sure. but the point being is, if if you look at running as a a weight loss tool, I, I think I think running can be a huge motivator. Mm-hmm. But I don't think running is going to really help you with your weight loss. So what I would encourage people to do is to look at seasons, Mm -hmm. just like athletes do, and there are going to be periods of time when you're training and you're running, and that's when you optimize your nutrition for that, for performance. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the year, so those cold months where you're like, I don't really want to get out, I don't really want to do a bunch of treadmill work, all of that sounds horrible and boring, so I don't want to train as much. Well, you can do other things. You can cross train, you can lift, you can do some other things. And this is when you can kind of cinch down on nutrition is mm-hmm. when you sit down and follow the three P's that Carissa talked about, which are prepare, portion, and protein. So this mm-hmm. is a period of time where you can get really serious about that. You can cut some weight during the off season, which yeah. is going to help your performance during on season. So it's not mm-hmm. that you're trying to do two conflicting things. Because diet, dieting or restricting calories and performance 
don't mm-hmm. really go hand in hand. Right, for sure. And and just like the three Ps being protein being important. I mean, that you can't restrict and like you said, any macro, you can't really do that and expect your running performance to to be what you are expecting it to be. It won't be great. So definitely in the off season, because all runners do need to have an off season, although not, some of us don't like to hear that, <laughs> <laughs> me included. But um, but yeah, there there is a time to focus on, uh, you have to focus, like Carissa said, on your goals. What is your goal? If you're running for performance, you got to focus on training your performance. If you're running just for fun, for mental health, for your physical well-being, then, then you could play around with your diet and see how it impacts your running. But definitely in the off season, just also like Carissa and like you have said over the time, weight loss is made in the kitchen. So get creative with what you're cooking, pay attention to portion control, protein, you know, batch cook like she had talked about. I mean, you have more time if you're in the kitchen and not on the run. So that would be the time to focus. I completely agree. Yeah. Oh, all right. fun. It was so neat. <laughs> I'm just going to fangirl for a second. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Jeff Galloway. I've, I've done his training. I've got their books and and this will be another one on my shelf. So, so excited you got to talk to him. That's pretty cool. Well, good. Yeah. I, I somewhat insisted that it'd be both of them um, and not just Carissa. <laughs> no, Chris is great too. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong, but I, I, I wanted to get Jeff back on um, Super cool. because he is such a great guest. Mm-hmm. Great. All right. Well, I will talk to you next week. Take care, Alan. You too. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Next time on the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we bring back fitness legend, Tony Horton. Until then, have a happy and healthy week.